Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Veth. He's Stefan Bielkowski, and also joining us on the show today is Matt Ford. And Matt, first to you, because you haven't been on in a while. How's it going? Uh, yeah, all good, thanks. Um, had a bit of a semi-weekend off this weekend, but um, kept half an eye on what was going on. Obviously, obviously a bad weekend to take a weekend off, given there were three really big games. Yeah. But, um, I kept an eye on them as best as I could, so I'll try and contribute where I can. Oh yeah, I'm no, I'm sure I'm sure you will be contributing plenty as always. Um and Stefan, how are you? How was your travel back to Scotland? Last time we spoke we're still in Hamburg. How's it going? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lot more relaxed than the last time we spoke in Hamburg because I was at a very, very busy um airport in Hamburg. Um which just to kind of give people some sort of idea, it took one of my colleagues ninety minutes to get through security. Madness. So, uh needless to say, prior to this show recording uh, the three of us were sharing our woes our recent woes with the German transport system um but yeah I'm back in Scotland back in the middle of nowhere and all the happier for it. that big trip to the big city is done and dusted so I'm yeah happy happy back on my farm I was on the only flight from Hamburg to Munich that didn't get cancelled that day Stefan which, of course, anyone who listens to the show knows the, the deprivation I had to undergo to actually get to Hamburg in the first place was quite a relief. Um, yeah. Also, for anyone listening to the show, there's some bonus material for here, right here. Hamburg travel tip. You can book a slot for security. So you can book a slot uh, any time between three days before your flight and three hours before your flight. So if you go to Hamburg and you want to leave Hamburg on time, book a security slot. Um, it meant that I was through security in 15 minutes rather than the 90 minutes that it took you guys. Um, so yeah, I, I, I highly recommend this to anyone who needs to travel to Hamburg. Um, it makes your life a lot easier. Uh, guys, travel was tips that, was that Was that the advert? Was that you've been That's at the, the advert? We're sponsored by Hamburg What's what is it? What's the airport called? Uh, Helmut Schmidt Airport. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going. We're doing really well. We're getting sponsored by Hamburg Airport. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. They had, like, obviously they don't have any money, considering how shitty the security is. <laughs> oh well, there goes any hope of us being sponsored by Hamburg Airport. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're not sponsored by the Deutsche Bahn or the Hamburg Airport, so you can be honest about either one of those pro products on this show, Stefan. Um, no, we are being sponsored though. Uh, let's let's do the sponsoring thing first, and then uh, we'll talk about all the the football action this week. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting actions and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions with both desktop and mobile access at any time. 
head to the bed, head to bed online today and use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Um, guys, um, before we jump into the games, and I mean, this was, what did the, the Bundesliga sell this at, Matt? The Super Weekend, Top Weekend, they had some fancy sounding name for it. Um, the DFL trying to sell this, of course, and it was it was a great weekend of football. Um, need to you need to highlight this, but of course, um, the big news is, and this this broke just before um, the we went on the show, is that the thirty six clubs of the first and second division have agreed uh, on starting uh, negotiations with a potential investor. We had a bonus show on this in the past. Where we broke down the initial um, vote that that failed, where the Bundesliga clubs rejected this, they needed a two-thirds majority. They got it. Um, my understanding is that ten clubs voted against it, um, and so that's gone through. We don't have all the details yet, and if you are interested in the details, Stefan, I think our plan is to do a bonus show, right? Yeah, we'll probably do that. We'll record it tomorrow, and it'll be out Wednesday, I'd imagine. We usually do the trash yeah. roundup show, but um, we'll definitely have it out this week. Depends when the details come out and what is said. We don't want to go too soon before we have all the details, but we'll definitely be doing a bonus show on it with Matt, um, presumably. Uh, and um, yeah, so if anyone's want a deep dive in that, do subscribe to the Substack, where you get two extra podcasts every week, as well as some newsletters from the three of us. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, some some little details there. Uh, I've been told the details uh, or some more details are going to be out later on Tuesday uh, or Monday. Sorry, so uh, we're recording this right now. It should be out later today. Okay, guys, let's dive into the football. Um, Bayern against Frankfurt. This is a shocking result, at least. Um, I don't think. Stefan, we we predicted both. I think a Frankfurt defeat here. Uh, I think I said on the previous show that I think this is going to be more difficult for Bayern Munich than they originally anticipated. Um, that was an understatement, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, they just got smashed in the first first half, and it didn't get any better in the second half. The final result five one. The last time this happened, of course, was in twenty nineteen. Um, in November 2019, with a certain Nico Kovac in charge, 24 hours later, he was gone, he was fired. Thomas Tuchel still in charge. Um, I don't think there is going to be a sacking imminent, but the noise out, out of here in Munich has been that um, Christoph Freund, he was on Doppelpass the next day. This is the sporting director, and he was quite honest in his determination that January is going to be quite busy for the club with them making many changes with the squad. And, you know, Stefan, I think when you look at this this result, what became very apparent here is that they not only have problems in defense, where they, where they really struggled, but also midfield. Um, you know, I wrote in one of the articles that I wrote this, this week that it was Frankfurt went through Bayern's midfield and defense like a hot, butter, a hot knife through butter. Um, it was just way too easy for them, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was such a bizarre game because, you know, on the one hand, you had this Frankfurt side who have really struggled actually in the Bundesliga lately. Uh, you know, they obviously lost uh, 2-1 to Augsburg the week before. 
They lost to Stuttgart a week before that, and then they drew to a very poor Werder Bremen team uh, the week before that. So, you know, that's kind of why we did go into this game thinking, um, you know, I get nine out of ten times Bayer always favourites, of course, for these games. So it's not exactly, it wasn't exactly a hot take or anything like that. Um, but I think what ended up playing out was, you know, Frankfurt felt they maybe had a point to prove. Um, but it also just kind of felt like, you know, Bayern had that extra weekend off because the Union Berlin game had been cancelled the week before because of the snow, and they just looked a real yard or two off the pace. Um, I was really quite startled by just how bad and error-prone that defence was. Um, you know, going back to that kind of Davies slip-up in the first couple of minutes that led to the first chance for Frankfurt, uh, to the manner which Kim's just getting knocked off the ball with shoulder tackles, uh, Mazarui in the lead up to the first goal, just a very lazy clearance of Meccano kind of getting turned by Larson for one of the goals. And then, as we were discussing at the time and in the group chat, Manuel Neuer looking very, very, very old for some of the attempts he made to save those shots. And, you know, I guess we'll see against Man United this week whether that was just a case of them looking a little rusty and needing to get back into the swing of things or if these are kind of deeper issues because I do look across that back line and we've talked about it a lot, quite, quite a lot this, this season that it, it's it, it's an error-prone defence at the best of times and usually it's just one or two players that are all form but it felt like all four of them were out of form and the thing I do keep coming back to with this Tuchel side is that while there definitely have been improvements in attack you know we've we've you know, we've talked a lot about Leroy Sani and Harry Kane and how they've linked up tremendously well. Um, but I'm really struggling to think about a defensive player at Bayern who's actually improved since Tuchel came in. And if I was a Bayern fan, I'd be concerned not only by the fact that Davies seems to be getting worse by the week, uh, Mazarui looks like um, someone who's won a raffle to play in that Bayern team. Pippa Meccano hasn't really made any improvements, but perhaps most notably, Kim actually looks like he's getting worse compared to what he was doing last season at Napoli. And it, it just kind of feels like maybe the defence is neglected, and maybe it's just kind of having to play second fiddle to, you know, Bayern's attacking intent, because obviously domestically, Bayern basically have to throw everything at these teams that sit deep. I'm not saying that's what Frankfurt did in this game, but in general. But I don't know, I think it was a game that really highlighted each individual defensive player in that team and what they're capable of doing mistake-wise. And it might be a one-off, but I think if you look at the stretch of time that Tuchel's been in charge of the club, I'm really struggling to think of any of those players that have actually really thrived or gotten better under him. What's your thoughts, Matt? My first thoughts um, from a Manchester United point of view are that we're in for a bit of a spanking on Tuesday night, aren't <laughs> yeah. we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, we all know what happens with Bayern Munich when they when they get a result like that, right? It's not Stuttgart that have to worry here, it's United that have to worry here. <laughs> well, ex exactly. Um, I mean, that was Bayern's third defeat of the season after the last two. The first one was in the Super Cup, I believe, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay, glorified friendly, but... They came back and won the first Bundesliga game 4-0 away at Bremen. Uh, after they got knocked out of the cup in Saarbrücken, they went and put four past Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Uh, and if, well, if, if Bournemouth can put three past United, then 
anyway, let's uh, let's see how that one goes. Um, I think, as Stefan was saying, it was it was a game where I think everything all across the pitch, everywhere where Bayern weren't at hundred percent, and they were nowhere near it. They were seventy, eighty percent all across the pitch. It was absolutely ruthlessly exploited by um, by Frankfurt, one of the best performances in weeks. Um, um, yeah, side of the back. Manuel Neuer doesn't doesn't give a good impression at all, particularly on that second goal where it sneaks past with the near post. Uh, Joshua Kimmich giving the ball away. Um, yeah, time and time again. Okay, he makes up for a little bit with a good finish for his for his own goal, but um, yeah, um, can't be giving away balls midfield like that. Um, Upamecano same applies to him. It's not the first time we've said that. Um, I think even most damagingly, he gives the ball away in dangerous positions where he then doesn't have to pace to get back in position. I think that was the case for at least one of the goals in the second half. Might have been the might have been the fourth, if I, if, if memory recalls, where he he finds himself well out of position after having given the ball away. Um, yeah, we also mentioned Kim Min Jae getting muffled off the ball, which is um, surprising. Um, one of the things I've been struck by this season, the few games that I've actually you know, my, my, you know, watched Bayern live and really got an impression of the close-up is how big Kim Min-jae is. He's an, I mean, he's an absolute unit of a player. And yeah, the last time I saw him was at Mainz when he was yeah he, he was knocked off the ball in the final minutes by the Mainz kid whose name I have forgotten. Um, that's the one. Um yeah, also not yeah, not not, not you know, a skillful player, but not the biggest. And only kidney he knocked him off during a dribble on that occasion. This this time was Ansgar Knauf in the in the build up to one of the, to the second goal, I think. Uh, who who brushed who brushed him aside? So that that must be concerning. And um, I, I I honestly I I don't know what the situation is between um, Thomas Tuchel and Thomas Muller. Um, I think Maxim promoting is a lot of things. Um, I think he can lead the line extremely well. Um, I think he's a good outlet. I think he can hold the ball up well. Uh, I think with enough game time behind him, with a bit of rhythm behind him, he, he can be a good finisher. Although he didn't really show that against against Cologne the, the last time that I saw Bayern. Um, however, a number ten in the creative sense of Thomas Muller, he is absolutely not. Now I know it's fluid. Um, I know you'd be expecting Harry Kane to be dropping into those positions a lot, and he, and he does. Um, although to much less effect against Frankfurt as he has been doing th- throughout the season. Um, but yeah, there you go. From top from from top to bottom, it, it's, it didn't didn't click for Bayern, and they were ruthlessly exploited. And um, all I think to to Frankfurt because I mean, if you're going to exploit Bayern, then do it do it in the way they did, and it was a, a great return to form for them after I think it was. Four defeats in a row, five games um, without a win. Um, but in the last time we spoke, or at least last time I spoke properly about about Frankfurt, might have been around the Dortmund game, um, the the three three earlier season. Can't can't quite recall. But yeah, we were talking about the qualities that they have uh, with the likes of Larson winning balls in midfield. Goetz who was absolutely fantastic in that in in, in a creative role against um against Bayern and the front yeah the the, the front three of uh, Shaibi Mamouche. And uh, Ansgar Knauf once again showing how um, how 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 destructive they can be um, up front. So absolutely deserved, and it just it just goes to show that when at, at that level, um, when when things do go wrong, um, and they're exploited as as well as Frankfurt did, then even if you're Bayern Munich, it can quite quickly um, go in a a pretty unrecoverable direction. It's a lot of here to unpack. Um, I, I I think 
I think the 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 midfield in particular, and I was very surprised about Chupomuting's start over Thomas Müller here. And the the thought that I have here is that coaches have tried in the past to sort of assert themselves over Thomas Müller, right? Um, whether that is whether it was Carlo Ancelotti, whether it was Niko Kovac, um, Hansi Flick, of course, didn't do it. Julian Nagelsmann at times tried it. The the result has always been the same, right? That um, sooner or later, Thomas, Thomas Müller used his influence over the club to dispose of the head coach. And I think Thomas Tuchel here walks a very fine line in that um, his, if the results are right, I think no one is going to complain here, including Thomas Müller, who is probably understanding of his advancing age and uh, his stiff changing role but you know that's that is something I think that is a can of worms that that you open and at the moment results go bad which they might now here um, the next games against Stuttgart um, you get yourself into a situation where, where, where it's going to become difficult and I think another thing that I think is really important here and I spent a lot of time thinking about um, is what Thomas Tuchel has done with this midfield at Bayern Munich, right? There's Leon Goretzka and um, Joshua Kimmich. I spoke to a source about this today, and um, this person has described him as non-existent uh, in this game. And those two were the foundation of a Bayern Munich side that won the Champions League in 2020, right? Of course, there was a certain Thiago playing in midfield there as well, and I think that is a, that is a sort of player that they're missing at the moment, but. Thomas Thomas Tuchel with the, uh, the transfer policy at Bayern Munich heavily damaged both those midfielders, you know, undermined them uh, and undermined their potential. And I, I think that is something that is um, is a situation that Thomas Tuchel very much has created here. And, you know, you add the, the holes in defense. Um, it just seems so porous at the moment. I mean, Stefan, we, do you and I have talked about this quite a bit, right? That it's just the the balance here, and you mentioned that not a single defender has improved under Thomas or under Thomas Tuchel. But I would actually add that the midfielders have actually gotten worse as well. Yeah, it's it's obviously been a huge topic at Bayern. It's was a huge source of um, you know interest and intrigue and frustration in the summer transfer window. Um, you know, they also went all in to try and get Paulinho from Fulham, which didn't work out. Ryan Grabenberg then ends up leaving the back out the back door and leaves him in a very tricky position. Not to mention the fact, which probably understated, is that Conrad Limer, who is the backup midfielder, has spent most of, if not all, the season playing defence. And he was once again kind of drafted in in this game because Masri was brought off because he wasn't deemed good enough. And I think that just kind of goes to show the kind of issues across this entire squad. Really, they need a new right back. They need a goalkeeper. Um, they certainly need a central midfielder um, or two and whether Thomas Muller simply wasn't fit enough for this game or excuse me Tuchel has decided that he's no longer reliable the fact that you know him the player he turns to when he doesn't feel comfortable starting Musiala who let's be honest has also been quite hot and cold this season and um, probably overplayed last year to be honest but um 
the fact if if he if they don't if they don't start him, he turns to something like super voting. And I think it's just quite startling that you know we talked about the feds being mis mis at fault, the midfield being at fault. If you actually look at that forward line, thirty seven of the forty four league goals they've scored this season have come from Leroy Sani or, or Harry Kane in the sense that either scored or created them. And I think there's probably a very strong case that the two of them have really kind of papered over the cracks at, at Bayern. And, you know, that was certainly the case in this game where Harry Kane came very close to scoring um, when it was an outstanding um, block by one of the Frankfurt defenders, I forgot who it was, um, that, you know, it's close range. And, you know, this maybe explains why Bayern were so intent on citing, you know, that young Spanish winger um, that we talked about last week, Manu, because... You know, you look at Serge Gnabry, you look at Kingsley Coleman, you look at Chopin Moting, Thomas Muller. That's four players there who maybe are capable of doing something on their day, but whether Tuchel can actually rely on them over the course of a season is certainly quite questionable. And you know, I'm sure some Bayern fans would argue that they were all perfectly good players until Thomas Tuchel arrived, but that's kind of the problem the club that has to face, whether they bring in another head coach and get the best out of these players or they move the players on and bring in new ones that, that the coach wants and he thinks he can get the best out of. And that's the kind of tricky situation that Bayern now find themselves in because, you know, the, the, the intriguing thing here is that they're now, you know, they're obviously now four points off Leverkusen in the league table. They have that point in hand, but... No, they have a game in a, hand. They don't sorry, have any points in hand. Sorry, right? a game in hand. Let's, apologies. Let's, let's, let's don't let them win. Like, let's not, let's <laughs> don't assume they actually beat Union Berlin in January. <laughs> no, well, this, 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 this is the point I was about to make here, that um, whereas in previous seasons you would just assume that Bayern would make up those points, you now question whether they can go to Stuttgart, go to Leverkusen, Leipzig, Lever, um, you know, um, Frankfurt, whoever else, you know, and actually pick up the points they have to win to kind of really hammer home this league title because it's 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 just problems all over that pitch and God knows we've got plenty of Byron's fans who are in our subscribers list who comment on this in the forum every week and there's plenty of them who've been fed up with Tuchel for a long, long time and this is exactly Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Why? Yeah, I guess that's the question then, guys. Um, what will happen next, right? I mean, um, the game next weekend or this weekend... Is at home uh, against VfB Stuttgart. Of course, Matt, I I'm sorry, uh, you already mentioned it, but they have that in-between game against Man United, where 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 I I actually would put money on them knocking out United out of Europe altogether. See, do you know what? I mean, I, that's I, not I, 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 that's not carried away. It wouldn't be by me knocking United out of Europe. We've, we've, yeah. we've put ourselves. I in guess that it'd position. be the final nail in the um, coffin. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you know what? I'm going to put my neck out here, and I say it's going to be a difficult game for Bayern because yeah, but they're still going to win. I don't know. I don't know. I've been honest because my United gave them a scare in that last game. Um, my United have a point to prove. Whether they can or can is up for debate. Man United, in that game, it was a 4-3 result, but it would never look like a game that United were going to win. 
Yeah, but it looked like a game in which Mayonnaise could score at any point. And that's the issue I have with this Bayern team. Anyone can score against them. And for all of United's faults, they still have players who can score goals. Um, it's just the defence. This seems to be the issue, much like Bayern. So it should be an entertaining match. But um, yeah, I, I, I think, I, past I think it would be to this Bayern team right now. I think it will be an entertaining game, you know, probably because United do, do do have to go at them. And as you said, United are hot and cold. Um, they can go, you know, away to Everton, score three. They can they can create a, a heap of chances against against Chelsea, and yet they you know they're also capable of, um, of, of simply not turning up whatsoever. So um, I think the only thing that concerns me is that um, I think if if Bayern Munich were to rock up in Manchester and play any sort of uh, anything resembling anything anything resembling high you know high high octane aggressive pressing football uh, that the United simply can't handle that um, but that's um, I suppose that's more for choosing I just wanted to come back on a couple of things that um, Stefan was saying um, and regard, particularly regarding the transfers and the extent to which Thomas Tuchel's to blame for that and I mean, so as my point is I don't, I don't think he is um, mm, I, th- I, th- I, I think you can um, yeah, you, we're talking about the, the gap the, the gaps of the centre of the park it wasn't it, it wasn't Thomas Tuchel that failed to, to land the Paulinho in, yeah in, no no in, no no, in, no. In, but in that, he was window. sitting on a tra- he was sitting on that transfer committee it, it, yes true but I mean you also said that you know, you've got people who have been upset for Thomas Tuchel for a long time I mean you're talking you're talking eight months no one's been upset no one's been upset to Tuchel for a long time he's not been there for a long time um, and I know it's to, I know it's an easy way out, but I'm just, you know, as we're just trying to defend Thomas Tuchel a little bit here, um, I think it needs pointing out that um, there are bigger issues at Bayern at the moment. Um, that's not absolving Thomas Tuchel completely from blame. Um, I think it's really right to point out that defensively they're all over the place. But then again, is it Thomas Tuchel's fault that, that uh, Alfonso Davies um, simply hasn't simply hasn't developed? Um, is it is it his fault that that that, Mas, that, that Masravi was brought in? He's clearly not. Uh, clearly not a top level right back, um, so I think you can absorb Thomas Tuchel from a little bit of blame there. Not all, not not all of it, because you know I also find the decision to start triple promoting in a number ten goal ahead of Thomas Muller baffling, um, and I totally agree that I don't think he's getting the best out of. Well, I don't think he's getting the balance right with Goretzka and and Kimmich in, in midfield either, and so I I, I agree with all that, um, but um, yeah, to to. I, I just don't think we should get carried away basically and I know that is a, a bit of a tendency in, in Munich that whenever Bayern Munich lose one game and it is only the third this year it's actually the second because that Super Cup simply doesn't count um, and it seems that the DFA football card doesn't count for Bayern Munich these days anyway it's, that's also no, completely I, dis- not. I, disagree, I disagree with that this is a club that wants to win everything exactly exactly yeah. I'm only joking on that one but um, so it is yeah it, it, it was only there um, well yeah first Bundesliga defeat of the season and I'm missing one yeah exactly first, first defeat of the season you've, you've got that game in hand against Union Berlin coming up it's going and the, the Bayern team you would think again I can't put it in the future but you would think that the Bayern team that plays Union given that it's been put back to January the 24th I believe it is potentially going to be a lot stronger obviously big if depending on how the wins to winter transfer window goes but you, you'd think it would be a, a much stronger Bayern team which, which plays Union Um I think it's valid, particularly by in their current form, to point out you know how are they going to how are they going to fare against the top teams? They've already been given uh, a scare by by Leverkusen at home, um, but yeah, they, they face Stuttgart at home next week, um, and um, yeah, I think, I think that does help. Stuttgart are on form; they have been impressive, but particularly at home, 
Um, so I think the fact that Bayern are playing them in this in this half of the season at home is an advantage. Um, so and and again, yeah, come the second half of the season when 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 Bayern do go away to Leverkusen and away to Stuttgart, um, they yeah, they, you would think they would be in better form depending on how things progress in the boardroom. And again, it's not completely to absolve Thomas Hukla of all blame. I know that he's also has a serious say on the transfer committee and, and, and all that, but um Christoph Freund has only been in the job as well for, for, for a few for a few uh, months. Um and so is Jan uh, Jan Christian Dresen in his CEO role. Uh, they were absolutely there were complete wholesale changes literally thirty seconds after the final whistle blew in Cologne last season. Um so I think it's I think it's only easy to then jump on one defeat, uh, as heavy as it was, and and suddenly, you know, so suddenly claim that, um, yeah, everyone's been, everyone's been uh, crit- critical of Thomas Tuchel for for a long time, which, like I said, they haven't, because he's not been there a long time, and then um, yeah, um, it, Bayern Munich will be a completely different team come the new year. Um, again, that's not to say that everything is going to be okay and that everything is going swimmingly. That, that's that's not the point. I mean, they've got. Well, again, they've also qualified for the Champions League with um, with, with two games to spare. Um, so let's uh, leave the church in the village a little bit, as the Germans <laughs> say. Kirchheim, go off lesson. Yeah, um, you know, you're quite right. I think a lot of the criticism comes from last season as well, right, when they almost gambled away the title. Um, and then Dortmund, Dortmund basically handed it to them. I wouldn't say on a silver platter because the title is the silver platter, but... <laughs> <laughs> you you get the idea here. Um, I think it's going to be hugely fascinating how Christoph Freund will navigate this transfer window. Um, he was, of course, on Double Pass yesterday where he spoke in great length. Double Pass, for those who don't know, is a very popular roundtable discussion that takes place uh, every Sunday morning in Munich. Um, they they bring together a bunch of people, uh, mostly ex football players, who say a bunch say a bunch of dumb stuff, and then a few guests who actually know some things. And Christoph Freund was one of the guests that knows something, and he said a lot will happen in January. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, they then conclude the show uh, with I think what is the best Bavarian tradition and drinking Weissbier. Um, I think that is that that's the best breakfast drink you can have. A fantastic cocktail. But you know what? I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see what Freud will do. And reading between the lines, I'm not actually certain Palinja is still the number one target here. I think I wouldn't be surprised if Freud does something like he did with Saragossa, um, you know, and also do it in a speed and a manner uh, which we, it, it, that, that would suggest to me that we'll find out 12 hours before that it has happened, right? Um, or literally find out once the the paper uh, the, the ink on the paper is dry, but I think this is going to be a hugely fascinating window, and it will be a huge test for him um, to see if he can fill those holes that are, uh, that certainly exist in that squad. Um, and you know, obviously on the shopping list is, is a is a is a fullback, uh, left and right, uh, a centre back, a defensive midfielder, and yes, of course Union Berlin. Uh, Bayern will be probably in a better position by January when they play on Union Berlin. But you also, I also have to remember these transfers have to be A, a fit, and B, you have to get make them gel into the squad, right? It's not like you're just dropping in these guys and they're going to work right right away. 
And also we remember they signed Joao Cancelo from Manchester City last year and the first few games were fantastic and then it just fizzled out, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's... I was just yeah, going to say, jump from... in there, man. I, I, yeah. Maybe just to kind of put a bow on this probably one to the games. The interesting thing, I think, going forwards, and look, maybe this is discussion for the transfer show, but you've also got Christoph, Christoph Freund, who's going in front of the cameras, he's explaining things, and obviously beginning to kind of pull the strings at bar, and as we saw with the signing last week, I'll just be intrigued to see how his growing influence over the club and the direction he wants to take the squad in how much that lines up with what Thomas Tuchel wants because as we've seen with I mean Tuchel's very good or has been very good at certain clubs when everything has kind of you know gone along to his script or he's always gotten what he wants um, for good and for bad you know we can go all the way back to the time at Dorbins when he quite justifiably basically walked out because he knew that he wasn't ever going to be able to build a squad there because the manner in which they sell players but he maybe flip that on his head and say, well, Bayern are now going to kind of start developing and signing players along the kind of Red Bull model, then, you know, Thomas Tuchel might turn around and say, I didn't join Bayern Munich to be Marco Rosa. I joined Bayern Munich to be Carlo Ancelotti or Real Madrid or whatever else. I want a ready-made squad that can win the Champions League every year. I'm not here to develop your 22-year-olds or 23-year-olds. So it's it's I'm, I'm purely speculating here. I'm sure the both of them got on very well. But... Um, that that mm. kind of transition might cause mm. a few kind of growing pains, which would be interesting to see how it works out. I I, I think I think they have all, I think they have all good points, but I mean, again, none none of us none of us know exactly. But you know, we can only sort of speculate based based on the little sort of scraps of info we get here and there and reading between the lines. But by all accounts, over the past eight nine months, and every indeed ever since he had the initial discussions with Bayern, uh, Thomas Tuchel's been extremely close to Uli Ernest. Uh, that relationship mm. does seem to be a good one, although it's not actually it's actually not one which which I would have considered to 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 have had much hope. Actually, if you'd have asked me maybe three or four years ago, how would those two characters work together? Probably quite difficult, but probably yeah, probably with, with some difficulty. But again, that that does seem to be a relationship which exists. Um, I suppose ultimately we, we we don't know how the two of them are going to uh, how, how Tuchel and uh, Christoph Freund are going to dovetail. Uh, in their work I, I, in I have some insight on that. Go I on, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I know from people who are close to both um, that it hasn't always been easy. Um, and that at least at first, Tuchel wasn't 100% happy with this appointment and getting forced out of the the transfer board and handing it over to someone who he sees as his junior. Um, so, you know, it isn't exactly a relationship that is a hundred percent. It's been described as difficult at first and turned into professional. Yeah, no, it's interesting. We'll see how it, we'll see how it develops. Cause I think St- uh, Stefan's right to point out the, the hierarchies and the structures within which Thomas Zuckel has worked in the past, I think most impre- probably most comfortable was when he was at Chelsea with, uh, well, um, the sporting director, Melina Gronovskaya, uh, beneath Abramovich. Um, in, in those years, he had a very good relationship with her. Uh, Petr Cech was involved in, in whatever whatever the names of the roles were. He was involved as, uh, as well there. And then he had, yeah, the corresponding problems uh, at PSG for obvious reasons. Uh, fell out with Leonardo, didn't he? Uh, um, on quite a spectacular scale, I believe. 
and um, yeah, so it, it, we'll, we'll be interested to see where it goes. Um, yeah, difficult. I mean, yeah, we're, we're not here to look in glass balls and predict the future, I suppose. But yeah, it, it will well, be what, interesting. What, what, what we can, what we can do, at all, we can look into. Well, you already mentioned the immediate future, which is on, which is Manchester United. But we can also look already ahead of the next match day, uh, and they're going to play a Stuttgart side that for a full forty-five minutes lit fireworks against Bayer Leverkusen. Um, and actually played a Leverkusen side that, you know, you can make an argument is maybe the best team in European football or has been for large stretches, right? Um, some would say maybe their title is now gone and moved to Spain, to Girona, who, do, who are doing unbelievable things there. But, you know, this Leverkusen side has been um, very, very good for to start the Bundesliga campaign. And for 45 minutes, Stuttgart played them off the park. Um, I was at this game yesterday. I... The last time I was in Stuttgart, guys, was when they were um, on the verge of relegation and then played a incredible game against Hamburger's foul. And what struck me, that game against Leverkusen, the first 45 minutes, was exactly the same blueprint against HSV. Even the jerseys were the same because Leverkusen were playing in blue. Right. Uh, so I, 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 I heard uh, you say this at the time, Manu, but I, I need to just a little point of order. Leverkusen were playing in turquoise, and if there's any Hamburg fans listening to that, that's absolutely it's, ab in, it's absolutely nah. not the it same colour. It was a shade of blue. It was a shade of blue. Give me that. Uh, you know, you can be creative with the truth. Anyways, um... <laughs> if you say so. Uh, but you know what? But like, that's uh, but. Or in terms of the way and the style that they played, I it just struck me how true, how much Sebastian Hoeneß found a way in which he wants his team to play, and it doesn't matter what your opponent is, he sticks to it, right? Because Leverkusen is obviously a much better team, and yes, they they added some pieces that have probably helped um, Hoeneß play the style of football he wants to play, but it's just I just find it so hugely impressive how he has a playing philosophy in place. And no matter the opponent, he plays that sort of football. And then, of course, what I also thought was really impressive, you know, when when he realized both Undav and Gorassi, or maybe that was the plan to begin with, and Undav was just hurt at the start of the season. But when Undav came back and started scoring during the time when Gorassi was out and then Gorassi came back from his injury, he found space for both of them, right? And I think... I was going through that match and my thoughts and there was a few things that, you know, I pointed out and I pointed them out in the Monday bulletin as well. If you want to read back on that. Um, the fact that the Stuttgart side has a lot of the things that Bayern Munich would like to have. First of all, was a, a very, very, very stable defensive midfield in Angel Stiller and Carasso, right? Um, and I think that allows them to play that sort of football but, you know, yes, Leverkusen came back in the second half. They equalized through a brilliant Florian Wirtz. But this Stuttgart side, I think if they play this way in Munich, Matt, I think they have a chance there. Absolutely. Um, I think for the first time this season, uh, Leverkusen were faced with not just an aggression in uh, opposition pressing, which they, which they struggled to handle, uh, but I think perhaps more importantly, um, a team who could not just press so aggressively and so consistently across the pitch and win the ball so high, but also have the sheer numbers and the sheer quality going forward to actually capitalise on that and really uh, not just win the ball, but create serious chances out of it. 
I think particularly in the first half, Leverkusen had Lukas Kodetsky in goal to thank. It wasn't it wasn't two three or, or perhaps or perhaps even four. Um, the reason for that is when you just touched on yourself, the fact that um, Sebastian Hernes has managed to find uh, a role in the team, not just for a Gersi or a Dennis Undav as a bit of a backup, but for both. Um, and then if he, if need be, as was in the second half, to bring on the likes of Silas off the bench. Uh, and I think as we've seen this season down the left, Chris Fjordvich has been, for me, one of the absolute revelations of, 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 of the season in, in, in the entire league altogether. So I think that was, um, yeah, I think I think that was key. Uh, probably the first time that Leverkusen yeah, um, faced that intensity and also, um, yeah, against a team who could really capitalise and do something once they won the ball um, in, in dangerous positions. Um, yeah, it's hugely impressive. I think that it's just the entire philosophy and everything that's happening around Stuttgart. I, You know, I spoke to um, the two coaches as well. And, and Stefan, I think you might find this interesting. Javi Alonso admitted at halftime that he got loud um, and had to... He, did, he said he didn't have to yell, but he said he had to get a little bit louder. Um, and then he said after the game, even though, you know, they managed to do to get the equalizer, but they, they dropped another two points. Um, I think what hit bothered him that for now for 180 minutes they were kind of held by an opponent right Dortmund did it to them um, although they kind of played like a relegation candidate not like a championship candidate and now Stuttgart also managed to just hold him to quote unquote one goal right um, and Alonso kind of hinted that after the game that that was something that he was concerned about and something that he will have to express because there's tendencies as he says that he thinks he has to to guide against you spoke to him how do you think he's going to do that yeah it, it, I think it was such a fascinating test of you know the kind of Javi Alonso football that we've been seeing at Leverkusen this season because not for the first time in the last couple of weeks really I guess we saw something similar against Dortmund obviously Dortmund uh, you know scored early and then went very defensively whereas you know Stuttgart scored early and then kept attacking but it was very much both a case of Leverkusen conceded early and then having to kind of work their way back into the game or rather to exert their control over the game and I mean even though Alonso maybe wasn't too happy at halftime I mean I know we said after the game that um, you know they might have to look at their solutions to the problems that are facing them I actually think it was actually a good testament of how well these tactics do work because the manner in which they really controlled the second half I thought was really impressive. Um, you could definitely argue that Stuttgart were getting very tired. Um, they were they were they were tiring from their obviously intense press and intense attacking, but by maybe the seventieth minute onwards, it was really one way traffic and in many ways Leverkusen maybe could have went on to win the game to be honest with you. So. I wouldn't be too downhearted or disheartened if I was a Leverkusen fan. Yeah, it's maybe two points dropped, but I think in the grand scheme of things, and the manner in which we've just spoke about how Bayern are perfectly capable of dropping points in a similar fixture, I think to go away to Stuttgart, go go behind and then still leave with a point uh, is actually still pretty impressive. Um, and you know, I was I was I was kind of suggesting this in the chat at the time, but I just looked it up there where you guys were talking that in terms of like where or when rather Leverkusen score the goals, there is a kind of stronger emphasis on their goals scored in the second half. So 
22 of their 39, which I admittedly is not a huge amount, but it's maybe like 60-40 uh, in favour of the second half of games where they tend to do score the goals. And it definitely feels, and maybe it's just, you know, um, re- re- recency bias because of the Dortmund game we watched a few weeks ago, but the manner in which they have been able to kind of squeeze and contort these games, and actually they did the same thing against Bayern Munich, now that I think about it, where Bayern took an early lead, looked like they are going to run away with it, but then by the end of the 19 minutes, Leverkusen actually looked the stronger team and possibly should have won that game too. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it was a good result. I think it was a good testament of both teams. I think it was the definition of a game of two halves, or that old cliche, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think on the whole, Leverkusen can actually be really happy with a point here. I think was I think was actually key, and Stefan was Stefan was touching out there that it was I think probably for the second time this season, most impressively that we, that we've seen uh, the Xavi Alonso team really dictate the pace of the game and uh, so it's taking you know take control of when they want more dynamism in the game or, or to really actively and intentionally take that sting out of it. Um, I thought it was interesting to hear that because um, I, I I actually only saw the second half. It's, it's it's interesting to see that or to hear that Alonso admitted that he got he, he got loud and um, yeah with, with with his team at half time. Uh, having heard that, I think that makes the first three or four minutes of the second half um, a lot more logical because they 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 absolutely came out on fire or at least in particular Florian Wirtz did. I think I um, I I turned on the game in in the second half having been. Having been doing other stuff, um, having seen people on social media and in some of our some of our chats saying what a fantastic game it had been and how uh, how how furiously um, Stuttgart had, had come out at Leverkusen, I was thinking, right, okay, I'll, I'll I'll have a bit of this. Uh, fancy watching the second half of this. And the way that particularly Fofi and Wirtz started, making this in the first two minutes of the second half, he had a, he had that solo run slash um, sort of bulldozer run through the through the middle of the park where he's dribbled and battled his way past three or four Stuttgart defenders and then two minutes later he's got on the end of Victor Boniface's cross to equalise so he, he's taken the sec- the second half really really by the by the scrap of the neck um, but then I actually thought on the uh, it doesn't make it a bad second half but it's it, it absolutely wasn't what I'd be hearing from, what I'd be hearing from people from the first half because the, di- the, the dynamism and the sting and the aggression and the pace really seemed to have been I thought taken out of the game massively, and I think on balance, that's that. I didn't think it at the time, but what I think I actually think that's to, to Leverkusen's credit and to Javi Alonso's credit that they've done that. I don't think it was their most um, offensively impressive half of football that I've seen from this season. I don't think it was. I I, I I didn't get the impression that they were moving the ball as quickly as they normally do. That they were so quick in transition as as they normally are. However, they did have a lot of control. It seemed it seemed very cagey. It seemed extremely cautious, um, and I wonder if that was a result of both teams just being a bit psychologically wary of each other. Leverkusen wary, having literally just seen at first hand what Stuttgart could do to them after that first half, and perhaps Stuttgart having then seen the way. Uh, Leverkusen came out equalised so quickly, uh, also withdrawing a lot into their shell. Which is again not a criticism of either team, um, but I thought demonstrated a, a tactical maturity pass of both teams, but particularly from, from from Leverkusen to be able to dictate the extent to which they they they, they inject some dynamism into the game or, or take it out, and we saw that in Munich as well. That's that's uh, also how they managed to 
silence the crowd and gets control over that game after going behind early. Uh, and yeah, I thought a similar. I thought a similar effect was was at play. Was at play here. One um, one is a good result. Um, I think again, it's, it's beyond their control. But you probably think, you know, given the way other results went, given that the Bayern lost and the Dortmund lost, that perhaps both sides, given the way the game went, would have probably would have probably preferred. Yeah, well, obviously preferred three, but three points would have been even even more important given what else, given other results. But it's, there's still a long way to go. So, uh, um, yeah, it was it, it really was an interesting game and definitely a game of two halves. But yeah, tactically of uh, quite a mature level. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting actions and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to, the bet, head to BetOnline today and use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, so Stuttgart's XG after the first half was 3.05. And uh, Hoeneß did lament after the game that they should have probably wrapped the game up in the first half, right? They they were more than capable of scoring three goals in the first half. And I, I don't think Leverkusen would have come back from that, right? Um, I have to sense that, to some extent, Gurassi's golden form has come to an end. There was a chance that he would have probably buried when he was on that hot streak, right? Um so it's gotten a little bit more difficult for them to score goals, although, you know, they still have Fürich, um, which, of course, he's, he's he was the goal scorer, and Undaf is in good form as well. But, you know, um, that XG, not converting that XG into more goals in the first half is essentially what cost them, I think, the three points there. And then Hoeneß admitted that based on how the second half went, um, you know, it was a more than deserved draw because of the way Leverkusen essentially came back and scored the equalizer right away. Um, what struck me, and I think this is this makes them both teams so very different than um, than Bayern Munich, is that they're so capable of controlling the midfield even if they're playing against an opponent that is dominating them in other areas. And that's actually, I think, essentially why the game got shut down the last 20 minutes. Is because in Caraso and Stiller, Stuttgart have two um, central midfielders that that can, you know, add that necessary compactness in midfield that allows them to kind of stem the flow of an opponent. And then Leverkusen, of course, can do exactly the same thing with Shaka and Palacios. And I think that is really um, that is really the difference here maybe between those two teams and other top teams in the Bundesliga at the moment. I'm, I'm thinking about Bayern, Dortmund, and maybe even um, Leipzig at times, right? That are more than capable of playing that fluid attacking style, but just don't have that that hold of the center of the park. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but you could make a pretty strong argument that those two teams are the two best teams in Germany at the moment. I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to Dortmund in a sec, I mean, I know we will, but you're absolutely right on the midfield. I mean, time and time again this season, Brussels Dortmund's midfield has just been completely bypassed. Um, yeah, m most recently I was at the game against, what was my last Dortmund game? Uh, Gladbach, when obviously they went, they went two, Gladbach went two up in the first half and I, I made the I made the point, to, I mean, to, to Edin Terzic, as I suppose 
as politely as, I've, as as I could that you know this is a pattern that we saw against Bayern Munich too of teams being able to just bypass that uh, dominant midfield. But yeah, you're right to say that particularly on that level, um, uh, Stuttgart and Leverkusen probably do have the two yeah the, the two two best central midfield outfits. Um, although, although I do think there's also a lot of potential there with, um, from uh, Red Bull as well, particularly the way um, Zavi Schlager played at the, uh, the weekend. But yeah. We'll come on to that in a bit, I suppose. We should come on to it now because okay. we're running out of time. <laughs> um, yeah, look, yes. at, look at that for a crossover. It's brilliant. Yeah, we should talk about that Definitely. right away because uh, we have about 10 minutes and we completely forgot that there was another top spiel, uh, Dortmund and uh, Leipzig. Guys, hey, no, no wonder all these investors are queuing up to invest in the Bundesliga. This, oh man, we're going to top, have it again. Top spieler ne- everywhere. We're going to have it again next week, just so, just so you know. Um, yeah. So, Dortmund lose to Leipzig. I, I'm leaning very far out of the window here and say this is it for Dortmund in the title race. But yes. I thought you were going to say this is it for Dortmund and even Terzic, uh, which is probably <laughs> the it's probably the question that most fans are talking about. Although uh, Stefan, 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 you you shot out a stat this week, this weekend. Saying this is actually three more points than they had last at, at this point last year. No, they have the same amount of points. Oh. I think it was, but they're actually, so they're, they're, that, that, that might have been true last, yeah, last week or before this week's game. I think. Oh probably, yeah, maybe maybe the, we, yeah. maybe the <laughs> weekends are merging into one here. No, I think I think I think it was that after this match. I think oh, I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure they got the same points tally, but are actually one position higher than they were last uh, season. Maybe it was that, yeah, but. We have to remember as well that last season's start was truly catastrophic. So, you know, it's not exactly um, a glowing endorsement of this team. Um, yeah, you know, it was just another kind of typical Dortmund versus the top four side performance. And we've just kind of grown to become quite used to these now, at least I have. Um, I guess against the kind of European giants, they can sit deep and they can try and play stubbornly and pick off results and to a large extent, that's palatable, but you know, there's no way that Leipzig can come to the Westfalen Stadion and and then and, and Dortmund can't play attacking football. And we tried to do that, and within like what ten minutes, uh, thirteen minutes, uh, Leipzig had cut them wide open. And I mean, I I just kind of want to focus in on that kind of Masumo's red card for a moment because there's two things that I'm quite baffled by. One was his decision to make that challenge when Openda was already through on goal because maybe it comes down to instinct, but you would think a defender of that experience would think it's better for him to just score and us to continue the game with 11 men than for me to get sent off and give away a penalty 13 minutes into this game. Um, No, I know he didn't get sent off for the penalty. He got sent off after VAR spin about eight minutes deciding whether it was a penalty or not. And it was another farcical nonsense from that system, which I just want to make a point of because I hate it. And it was an absolute nonsense. The actual people, people, if I'm not mistaken, in the stadium, at least from my position at home, thought VR was looking back to see if a pen that was actually offside at the start of the play. And then the referee decides it's not a penalty, it's a, it's a free kick, which I still think is actually quite a contentious call. And then, of course, Mass Hummels goes from giving away a penalty, which is a yellow card offence, to being the last man, which becomes a red card offence. Um, and it was just 10 minutes of stupidity from Mass Hummels. And 
and the DFB at large, I suppose. Uh, or oh, sorry, DFL. Um, but yeah, it 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 it's, it's it's, it was just I, I don't really know what else to say to be honest with you it's, it, you could just probably take what I said when Dortmund played against Leverkusen or against Bayern or whoever else copy and paste it and I think the only other thing I would add is that Leipzig were probably quite fortunate in this game because I thought they were actually played really poorly throughout the game uh, I thought they were really foolish in letting Dortmund back in the second half uh, I thought Dortmund played a bit better in the second half and we actually talked about this going into the match, man, on our previous show. I said, you know, Leipzig haven't exactly been great this season, but it would surprise me if this game ended in a draw. Um, and it felt for much of the game that Leipzig did, were doing their absolute best to give Dortmund some sort of leg up in terms of scoring chances. So more chaos at Dortmund and Leipzig kind of stumble on. Dortmund are just, Dortmund are just such a fundamentally weird team. Uh, and I, 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 can, <laughs> I cannot get my head around this season. Um, if you think yeah, you, you've, you've already discussed the the, the the sort of bizarre statistics surrounding their points tally that despite everything they have a, the same, if not very similar points out this season, it's actually a actually a place higher up. So you think that's a positive development. However, they're also eleven points off top, and they've got. Uh, Hoffenheim, Freiburg, and Frankfurt breathing down their necks already. Um, you would have thought that, given the, yeah, given the what what can only be described as bang average levels of quality that they have, particularly offensively, you would have thought they would have stood absolutely no chance in the Champions League group from which they've qualified with one game to spare. So, I mean, and nobody saw that one coming. Um, and then, as much as the failings against a top four team. Um, were just as evident on Saturday. Was it Saturday or Friday? Friday. This game was Saturday, Saturday, yeah. Saturday night, wasn't it? Um, yeah, they were as evident as ever. Nevertheless, they one thing you can't fault them for this time was the, I mean, the, the much, the much cited mentality from Borussia Dortmund. I mean, I thought they actually deserved. To, you know, let's maybe put the situation with Mats Hummers and his uh, rather foolish um, actions at the start of the game. Uh, in, in in brackets to one side for for a second, um, but to to then play for what was it the best part of an hour or probably almost two hours given the amount of VAR extra time that was added, uh, with ten men against um, an RB side, um, yeah, and caused them so many problems. Um, I think actually deserves I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, although even there you have this completely bizarre situation that it wasn't actually. The sort of it, it, it Dortmund were causing RB problems in the in the way they would probably have wanted to. I mean, they did, but the 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 original the first equaliser came from Nicolas Zula, um, who finished really well, but normally wouldn't necessarily be in that position. And even the late chance that they had in the what ninety plus thirty second minute of extra time. Um, where they could have equalised again, that also fell to Nicolas Zula. So they they did have they did have these chances, but it wasn't. But they weren't they they weren't chances which they would have liked to have created themselves based on you know clearly practiced and trained offensive patterns from the training ground. Um, so again, I, I sort of leave that open as to what you want to make of that. Do do do, do you draw the conclusion from that that Brussels Dortmund have actually got. Yeah, could take a lot of positives from that, and that they can create chances from a, a variety of different sources, even when they're in a, a, a difficult situation down to ten men for so long. 
or do you draw a more negative conclusion that well yeah once again they didn't have the um offensive quality and the offensive ideas and the patterns to 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 cause there be any problems and that's been really really familiar for Dortmund all season um so yeah um once again i'm sort of uh i know how i found myself i'm sure i know how that how they'll sell it absolutely and um i'm sure it's how edin terzic will sell it as well and um i mean you sort of joked at the start there didn't you <laughs> that you wouldn't if it was the last game oh, he's, if, if he's done his, his job prospects any no any, no any, no any they're damage, gonna sell us a victory they're gonna sell us a victory sure, and and uh, yeah, and guys, Matska has just signed a multi-billion-dollar deal with the D- for the Bundesliga. He couldn't no, care no, no, less that's what not, happened on the pitch. There's nothing signed yet. They, 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 he just got well, the commission. It's also well, it's, it's also nothing to do with Vatska anymore, is it? Technically, I mean, technically, it's the, but that's a different that's a different topic. The, the DFL has new uh, new CEOs, although Vatska yeah. is on the on the supervisory board, but that's a different topic. But um, yeah, the fact that Terzic has um, stayed Dortmund through the Champions League group, I mean that that's where money talks. That's where decisions are made. Once it really, once it really hits the balance sheet, looking for next season, when you don't have that, you know, that extra one game or perhaps two rounds of Champions League football, um, that's when that's when decisions are made to, to to sort of cut the card. And I, I, I would suggest that as long as Dortmund are in that Champions League second round, which they are, um, Tessis' job is, is safe, I would I would suggest. And also, as things stand right now, they are in the Champions League even as a fifth-place team. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, Stefan, go ahead. I, I, was, I was just going to respond to what Matt was saying about, um, you know, the players and the performances, the mentality, and I think it's actually such an interesting topic because... It's still very hard to nail down what is and isn't working at Dortmund under Terzic because it's not the typical case where the team are underperforming because you know they don't like the head coach or the heads have gone down or their morale's dropped. I completely agree with what Matt's saying. There's still definitely a kind of there's a work ethic. There's a there's a there's a there's a sense that they all want to work well for Terzic, and I think you can see that in a number of these games, especially the Champions League ones, where everyone is running through brick walls for him. Um, so it's you know it's 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 not a black and white thing. It's not he's a good coach, he's a bad coach sort of thing. I think it's just, I, I guess if I had to kind of try and break it down into smaller parts and try and pinpoint where the issues are, it does feel as though Terzic is obviously a very good man manager, and he's obviously got a very good job of kind of galvanizing the players, and you can tell a lot of them want to play for him. I guess the issue comes that there's not any maybe finer details in that. It doesn't it still doesn't feel to be like the tactics in this team are evolving or are even really discernible to be perfectly honest with you. And you know, it's that joke that Dortmund are just vibes under under Terzic and it is actually very hard to disprove that theory when you look at the way they play. Um and you know, you can then even just go down to the fact that I mean, the two things that really stood out to me in this game, I know they were man down and I guess whatever happened after the 13th minute doesn't really matter, but the manner in which Sula was, was done for the Baumgartner goal, um, and, and just for anyone who maybe didn't see it, Baumgartner's kind of running through on goal, a counter-attack, um, and Nicholas Sula just, is it's, it's more or less three on three, and Nicholas Sula, I'm not even sure he was his man, just slight tackles and goes to ground, completely misses the player and the ball, and is, and is out of the game entirely, and you know, Leipzig then kind of get into the box, pass the ball around, 
and Baumgartner eventually scores a rebound and like maybe it's not all on Sula but watching that play over and over again anyone would look at that and think who's this guy and has he ever played in defence before and you know I, I thought something similar in the last goal for Paulson basically just jinx past Nico Schlotterbeck as if the guy's like a 34 year old striker who's found himself in his own box it it, it, it just there's, 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 there's serious questions as to whether these guys are actually good enough to be Dortmund central defenders in my opinion and then there's the question as to whether the tactics are getting the best out of the players that Terzic actually has to hand and one way or another that's a job for Sebastian Kale, Vatska, whoever else to kind of figure out because either Terzic is a good coach who doesn't have good enough players or he's got decent players and he's only able to galvanise them to a point without providing the tactical instructions to get more out of them, I think. If I can just maybe just play devil's advocate and defend Terzic and Schlotterbeck in particular there, Stefan, um, I think it doesn't look good the way that Yusuf Paulson simply drops a shoulder and leaves Schlotterbeck, Schlotterbeck for dead. However, I think the slight caveat is that it is quite late on in the game and by that point, Dortmund had been playing with 10 men for a, a long period, sure, and sure. I suspect he was completely knackered by that point, although it it, 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 it did look very tired and it did look very easy. Um, as for Terzic, I mean, I, I actually personally do agree with you. I shared the same issues with, with, with Terzic and Voice, those issues um, going back over, over a year now um, as to where the next step in Dortmund's um, like offensive tactical evolution it's going to come from. Um, if I was to defend him though a little bit, it would be that um, I am starting to see attempts at it in recent weeks, particularly in the increase in uh, starts for Jamie Bynod-Gittens. Um, I think that is a I think that is a key development which Terzis would, would want to keep building on. He always made a good. He always made the point of how dangerous Jamie Bynum Gittens was off the um, off the bench for Dortmund last season, which he was. The same applies to an extent to the likes of Makoku as well and Gio Reyna, but the two of them haven't really been on form this season either, particularly Reyna. But this season, uh, Bynum Gittens has become a much more regular starter, um, and he has. Again, I'm not saying he's the finished article. He has a long way to go, but I do think that him starting down that left-hand side does represent a, perhaps an inkling of the way in which Terzic would like to start developing things more offensively with Dortmund. Uh, I know getting scored a really good goal in the San Siro against AC Milan. Um, he, as, as I recall, I think he did have actually one of the very few shots on goal that Dortmund had in the cup away at Stuttgart when he cut inside onto his left and got a shot away. I mean, admittedly, I'm sort of crafting at straws a little bit there because it was a terrible performance and wasn't even that good a shot, but it, it was it, it was the sort of glimmer of light that they had. And after Hummels got um, yeah got himself sent off early on, I think, am I right in saying it was Jay Bynell Gittens who actually paid the price tactically? He was then also taken off during the, the sort of tactical reshuffle. Um, so... Again, that that's where reality has caught up with them and uh, I suppose put a spanner in the works for both Terzic, Jamie Bynod-Gittens and Dortmund as a whole offensively um, for that game. Um, so again, yeah, just a couple of, I suppose, devil's advocate caveats there regarding Dortmund. It's such an interesting case, isn't it? Because, I mean, um, we kind of hinted on this um, there, is, there is things that are going wrong at Borussia Dortmund um, 
And yet this result um, is so much overshadowed by this red card that it makes it really hard to read anything into it. Um, obviously, we tried on, on this episode, but, um, you know, I, I, I reckon that internally this, this they will look at this red card and said, like, look, we were still came close of winning this game. Um, but ultimately, and I mean, I'm, I, I was kind of, you know, tongue in cheek earlier, but like fifth place might be enough to reach the Champions League. Um, this season, um, I'm not convinced this team is good enough, guys, to be a top four side this year, considering the way Leverkusen could have been playing, right? And that that ultimately means that reaching the Champions League isn't really in Dortmund's hands anymore. I mean, we're not even talking title challenge here. We're talking Champions League qualification, which is so very fundamental for the the, the business model this club is. And, you know, that is, I think, something that they will have to discuss internally um, in January. What will need to happen for them to get into the top four? Because right now the Bundesliga has that fifth spot, right? But that fifth spot is 100% dependent on how Bundesliga teams will do in the spring, right? Because it's the, the new Champions League model. I think three leagues get an extra spot. Um, and currently the, U- the Bundesliga is, I think, first in the UEFA coefficient ranking for the season. That's how they have it. And so... You know, um, I don't think that's something I would want to rely on if I was a Borussia Dortmund executive, guys. And I think this is a really important question here. Like, do you take the positives from this game that we discussed here? Do you take the negatives, the fact that they lost yet another game against the top side? Regardless of the circumstances, um, at the end of the day, you don't really look at red cards that influence a game. You look at the points on the board, and there are not enough of them on there right now. Yeah, I think I think you could definitely take both at this moment in time. I don't think it's a full-blown crisis by any means because, look, Dortmund fans can certainly look at it and say we've had one hell of a start to the season and we're actually only four points off fourth and seven points off Bayern. Um, and, you know, there's there's still plenty to play for and if last season taught us anything, it's obviously the case that Dortmund are perfectly capable of, you know, starting the second half of the season and just kind of steamrolling the league to a large extent um, whether lightning can strike twice is you know a question for the statisticians maybe but it might be something that Dortmund fans can cling to I think more importantly will be a look towards January and to see what the club are willing to do to try and fix these problems we just talked about how Bayern are in, are in similar issues and how Christoph Freund goes on television and says we're going to have a busy January window we've got problems to fix you know and that's what we expect of Bayern. When there's trouble at Bayern, they do tend to act quickly. They act decisively. And if that means sad, if that means firing your CEO and sporting director the day after you won the league, then so be it. Um, my issue with Dortmund in the modern era, and I think where a lot of frustration for the Dortmund hierarchy comes from, is that they they don't have that same kind of resolution when it comes to spending money to kind of fix the problems and. I think if 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 you if you're sitting on that board of Dortmund and you're desperately trying to think of ways to kind of convince fans that Terzic is the head coach to keep, the way you do that is by going out in January and spending 30, 40 million euros on a couple of fullbacks, a defensive midfielder, uh, and 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 then see if they make a difference. Because I think that game on Saturday showed, and just about every game against a decent team this year is that Dortmund's fullbacks are a are a mess. 
and that Sally Ozchan simply isn't good enough to be a centre midfielder for Dortmund. He seems like a very, you know, seems like he works very hard. He seems like he's a great team player. I'm sure he's a great guy, but watching him play uh, in that match was 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 was, was just so. Um, I don't know. It was it was it was just disheartening to be perfectly honest with you. The way he he, he couldn't get a touch, he couldn't keep pace, he couldn't unless he was running into someone, which arguably is maybe part of his job at Dortmund. But they just need they just need better players in these positions, and maybe a good defensive midfielder fix fixes the problems in defence. Maybe some good fullbacks fix the problems in attack. You know, these things may have a way of fixing themselves, and then Dortmund can obviously push on the second half of the season. They'll have a Champions League last sixteen to have some fun with, and all of a sudden things will look a little rosier. But that all depends on the club spending the money that they have to spend to fix these problems. And that's where, I mean, you mentioned the the people are waiting with bated breath to see what sort of role Christoph Freund plays in his sort of first big winter transfer window this uh, this January. I think similarly in Dortmund, all all eyes on Sebastian Kehl. Um, he's been he's been in the job for for, for longer than uh, his counterpart in Munich. And um, Matt, if he if he's still in the job in January, that is. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Yes, it will do that too. Uh, guys, <laughs> absolutely, uh, we will have to discuss transfers. Unfortunately, we're also in an hour and 10 minutes uh, of recording, which I think is probably the longest podcast I've done on this in a long time. Uh, in other words, transfers for the transfer show. We're going to have to wrap this up. Matt, Stefan, um, I know this is, we had, it's just that we had three massive, massive games this weekend. Um, and so we had a lot to discuss. I think we can discuss a lot of this uh, for a lot longer, and we will on different shows. That's which is the, which is why you should subscribe. Um, so programming notes, of course, we're going to have something on the DFL uh, later this week. Um, we have the Champions League games to wrap up as well, um, and then of course the, then we're going to dive straight into uh, the transfer window, which means that we're probably going to have some breaking news over January as well with transfers. Where we're going to see what Bayern Munich and uh, Dortmund will do to catch up with the likes of Stuttgart and Leverkusen who seem to be just better, better positioned than the two of them so yeah stay tuned guys uh, this is brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, Matt Stefan I want to keep this really quick thanks for coming on we'll be back soon until next time Auf Wiedersehen Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New
new episodes of Fly on the Wallin drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin wherever you get your podcasts.